Hi, welcome to Interviews Podcast. I am passionate about business. I used to run businesses for others before launching my own. And I have always asked myself one key question. What is the secret recipe to properly structure and successfully run a business? So I am on a quest to find out through insightful conversations with entrepreneurs all around the world. Follow me on my journey to crack the entrepreneurship code. Interviews is sponsored by Bertoli Digital, a Wix website agency built for startups, individuals and SMEs. Bertoli Digital is also Finland's first certified Wix expert and Wix partner agency. 1% of all the agency's project revenue go to Global Footprint Network to help change how the world manages its natural resources and respond to climate change. If you want to know more, www.bertolidigital.com or contact at bertolidigital.com. This is Interviews. Today I am with Eloise Buckland, CEO and co-founder of Husk Operating in Cambodia. Hello, Eloise. Thank you very much for joining me today. Hello, Laurent. Thanks for inviting me. Great. So let's start and tell us a little bit about your journey. Okay. So uh, I guess my journey started, as with everyone's, um, with a childhood that shapes you. And aged one, I was taken to Nigeria um, through my family's work. Uh, and although I don't remember much of it, I'm sure that subconsciously growing up in uh, an emerging economy with scarce resources influenced me. I then spent from age three to 11 in Fiji. Mm. And I think that's when I really realized that actually we depend on the natural environments that surrounds us. We used mm. to have all these hurricanes, Laurent. Um, and so we'd go for months without electricity, without water, without uh, telephone. And it was very clear to me from a very young age that we depend on nature. And although, of course, at age seven, I didn't imagine I would um, you know, dedicate my life to climate change and sustainability, I'm sure that that's where it all started. And then fast forward to now, I've had 20 years working in the field of sustainability and social innovation in around 20 different countries and wearing probably 20 different hats. So I've mm. been a consultant, a social entrepreneur, I have um, worked as a researcher. I've published a few books on social innovation. So I've done many things and I've learned a lot along the way. Oh, it's, been, it's been exciting, yeah. Right, when, when did you become an entrepreneur? I, I guess my first um, entrepreneurial experience was um, after doing a master's in uh, environmental policy. My, my thesis was called The Long and Winding Road to Transportopia because I was obsessed with climate change already at that mm. time and thought that, you know, we should all get out of our cars and, and, and use more sustainable means of transport. So I did this thesis on, on, on mobility and then I, um, I presented it to the city council and they actually said, Oh, I like this. What could you, could you set it in motion? And so I thought, yeah, why not? Um, so I set up a, a green travel plan for Ashford Borough Council. Um, <laughs> And I, and I guess for me, there's always been this kind of um, blend of, of research and, and understanding and science and data, and then putting it into action. 
And however small it is, you know, and I guess this is maybe a message for other entrepreneurs is, is just tell someone about that research and science and data and ask if they want to put it in action because so much of it just stays on paper and needs mm. to be deployed. And my experience is that people are very willing to, to go for it if you, if you invite them to. Mm. Yeah. But when some crazy people like us, you know, entrepreneurs do the, to do those things. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm sure there's far more out there than we think, especially now. <laughs> what, is, what is your husk about? And why, why Cambodia, by the way? Okay, so, so Husk is a social enterprise and our mission is to improve the livelihood of smallholder farmers because they grow 80% of the world's food in certain regions, in Asia and Africa, for example, that's the case. And they're also the, the custodians of the natural environment, which, as I explained, I care so much about because we all need it to, to breathe and eat and, and survive. And so, so Husk is, is dedicated to trying to improve the livelihoods of smallholder farmers so that they can continue to grow our food, basically. Mm. And how we do that is by transforming Husk, rice Husk, into biochar and carbon-based fertilizers and biostimulants. So we've taken an age-old practice, which is carbonizing biomass, um, and we've scaled it up with some modern technology and an innovative business model to make it affordable and available for smallholder farmers, to restore their soil, to improve their yields, and to sequester carbon. So. So I get my climate change fix into that as well, because mm. for every ton of biochar that we put in the soil, we sequester 1.33 tons of CO2. Right. It sounds a bit technical. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Try and say it simpler. I mean, in a, <laughs> okay. So, so basically we're making uh, this great soil improvement product to restore the soil you know, one third of the planet's soils are degraded at the moment. And there are ancient practices that, um, that work to restore degraded soils. Mm. So we use um, a technology to, to, to scale that up and make that available for farmers. Uh, you know, we, we chose Cambodia because it's the 10th largest rice product producer in the world. Mm -hmm. um, there are still a lot of people who live in poverty. So around 2 million still under the poverty line and 90% of those are in the rural areas. So we really wanted to do something uh, to support uh, the, the people that are living in rural areas, sustaining the rural economy um, so that they don't have to then migrate to the cities and, and go and make uh, work in the textile factories and make t-shirts for all of us lot. So, so right. it's really Husk is about supporting people to continue to grow food and mm -hmm. restoring the soil. So, so the, the social aspect is very, very important. So you created a social enterprise, right? How is that different from a, a normal enterprise or even from an NGO? So I guess there aren't actually that many differences from a normal enterprise in that, you know, we need, we have a product. Um, this is biochar based products, um, biofertilizers, biostimulants. So we have products, we sell these to markets. Um, we have revenue streams and we generate a profit through that, which we mm. invest back into being able to create more products. The difference is that our products have a social and environmental impact. So really, you know, 
any enterprise can be a social enterprise if their product is actually useful for the planet and for people in the long term. Mm. So from my perspective, I mean, obviously we define ourselves as a social enterprise because that's the language that, that attracts the kind of people that, um, that can believe in us and support us. But really my feeling is, you know, an enterprise needs to create a product that is needed by its customers and that generates um, value for them and for the business to, to keep doing the same. Mm. So, and we're different from an NGO in that, you know, we really were very clearly wanted to have a long-term impact. And I think NGOs relying on donations is finite. You know, the, the world is changing and we can't rely always on philanthropy um, to, to survive. So we wanted something that would be embedded in the market. And um, Carol Reeves, my co-founder, has worked for many years um, in emerging economies and is very passionate about the role the private sector plays in development. Um, we can't leave it all up to governments and NGOs, you know, business, business rules. So, so let's um, penetrate business with social business and, mm. and we hope that we'll, you know, get faster towards uh, a more equal situation for the people on the planet. Right. Is that what makes you get out of bed? every day you know that those changes <laughs> that you seek to make well i'm glad you asked this question because i have been thinking <laughs> what is it that gets me out of bed every day and to be honest what currently gets me out of bed every day is the is the messages that i hear from cambodia because i'm currently based in the uk and every morning because cambodia is six hours away when i turn on my phone i get these fantastic messages of our team making biochar um, doing running trials, creating new products, um, you know, seeing farmers using our products, seeing their mm. yields increase, seeing soil restored. Uh, to give you an example, yesterday, uh, what got me out of bed or what I was excited to see was a picture of a sunflower with no biochar, a very small, and then sunflower with biochar, very large. And this was from a farmer using our products and extremely happy with his, with his yield. He can mm. sell more sunflower seeds, uh, he can generate more revenue and, you know, hopefully his, his family can have a, have a better day. Um, mm. So that's what gets me out of bed in the morning, knowing that I'm doing something concrete that's useful for the planet and for, I hope, some families in Cambodia. So, and what do you want to take the business to? What's, what's the big dream for Husk? So the big dream is... Um, that Cambodia becomes a lighthouse really for the rest of the world in terms of biochar for emerging economies. So where we are now is trying to consolidate our operations in Cambodia and create this highly replicable model that we can then scale up and replicate in other, in other countries. Mm -hmm. um, you know, rice is the third largest crop grown by volume on the planet and rice husk is 20% of that so there are 150 million tons of rice husk produced every year. So uh, if we could just, if we could transform that into biochar and we could really make a serious dent in restoring the world's soils, um, which I explained earlier, you know, highly degraded. So what the big dream is that Cambodia, Cambodia becomes a lighthouse, becomes a beacon that other countries, other organizations from multinationals to cooperatives to multi-development, uh, sorry, multilateral development banks can replicate elsewhere. There is a lot of rice husk out there. There's a lot of soil to be restored and we've created a model that's highly replicable, viable and scalable. So, 
So that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to see, um, you know, by 2035, what I'd really like to see is 1 million tons of CO2 sequestered mm. by the use of biochar in soil. And I think we've made a model that could, that could make that happen. Well, that's a good reason to get out of bed every day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. What, what do you need to get there? You know, what are, what are the challenges in front of you? So currently what we need actually is a million dollars. We need investment and that's what we're looking for um, to consolidate our operation in Cambodia. And we're currently speaking to several uh, social impact investors and funders. And we are very excited about this, this opportunity, having proved the model, proved the concept, run the pilot. We're now ready to consolidate. So that's where we are now. You know, we've really, the last two years, it's not that we've bootstrapped our operations. It's almost that we've kind of, you know, flip-flop strapped our operations. We've mm -hmm. done this in a very lean way, you know, self-financed um, with three shareholders. And we're very glad we've done that um, because we have now a lot of value uh, and experience. And now we're ready for the next step, which is to attract some investment to consolidate Cambodia so that we can speed up the replication. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do people see value in what you do? Uh, yes, hugely. Um, okay. So I, I can give you, I mean, the farmers that we are working with, you know, at the very small scale, our, custom, our end customers, we actually sell to distributors who sell to the farmers. But the end customer, when he has a 100% yield increase on his, on his crop and he can sell double the lettuces, the kilos of lettuce, you know, and instead of getting $1 per meter squared, he can get $2 per meter squared. You know, that is value mm. um, for the farmer, for the end customer. And for us, that's the most important because ultimately that's who we're working for, right? But then along the way, we've had, uh, I can scale that up to um, the United Nations Industrial Development Organization has seen value in what we do. And they, they hired us to analyze the biochar markets in Southeast Asia for example, because they understand that uh, this, isn't, this is a growing market. Um, so UN bodies see value. Then there's the world of the carbon trading platforms and mm. they see value in carbon sequestration. So the IPCC recognized uh, biochar as a valid, viable and scalable model of carbon sequestration in 2018. And since then, there's been a kind of flurry of voluntary carbon markets. Um, so the value that uh, the, these carbon markets are putting on biochar ranges between 30 euros a ton to 100 uh, euros a ton, depending on the market. Um, so there is, uh, there's a value in the markets. There's also a value from corporates. You know, there's um, companies that work perhaps in the coffee or cacao sector have been in touch with us because they see value in the long-term viability of their supply chain. You know, increasingly due to climate change and desertification, soil degradation, uh, cacao plants, for example, are dying off at a, at a fast rate. Up to 40% of the seedlings die before they go into the, into the ground. So the, ch the uh, chocolate sector is concerned because we're not going to have cacao to make our chocolate. So they see the value of biochar to restore their soils, to ensure their value chain um, lasts for the long term. So, you know, there is, there is value from the farmer to the UN agencies, to the funders that we're speaking to, to corporates, to the voluntary carbon markets. I mean, you know, I think we have something highly valuable 
and it's valued in, in different ways and, and forms. Great, that's, that, is good. that is good to hear. I want to talk more about your entrepreneurship uh, journey. Mm-hmm. My uh, podcast is about cracking the entrepreneurship code. Have you cracked it? <laughs> I, I I think I've made a few chinks, you know. <laughs> in the, I can see some little chinks of light through. I don't think I've totally cracked it. If I if I if I did, I I would be um, yeah. The company would already be sold and replicated in in ten countries. Um, so let's have this conversation again in five years' time. <laughs> but let's um, talk about the lights that you have yeah, seen. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. So, I, yeah, so I think, you know, one thing that's super important is, is to, be, to be flexible, to be able to pivot fast um, mm-hmm. and with something as essential as what is your product, you know. Uh, I can give you just a, a small story. We were in an acceleration program training and it was the second round you know we got through the second round of the, and we had to stand up and do the next pitch and we were at the time making pellets from rice tusk not biochar and we had these two options on the table we're like should it be pellets which is a sustainable fuel or should it be biochar for the soil mm-hmm. and literally in the minute before standing up to do the pitch on that we kind of looked at each other myself and co-founder like pellets biochar pellets biochar biochar so we just had to make, you have to make decisions fast because mm-hmm. then you've got to stand up on the stage and defend it, you know, and, uh, and we had to pivot our entire business model and we're very glad we did, you know, it makes a lot of sense. So, so really being open, being flexible, open to pivot is, is super important. Um, having the long-term dream, the long-term vision and goal, but really being flexible about how you get there. I think that's my, um, that's one of my chinks, I guess. Mm-hmm. Maybe another chink is a little bit about um, if it's if it still feels fun, keep doing it. You know, yes. if it feels like play and actually it is what gets you out of bed in the morning and it is what excites you and it is what you want to tell your friends or your family over dinner or or you know over Zoom or whatever it is. Um, if it's fun, keep doing it. When it feels like a struggle and it feels uh, challenging and difficult, then maybe that is time to stop and kind of reflect. So I guess for me personally, I'm very, you know, I, I, I work very much with following my intuition and gut feeling and seems to be working so far. So that's another Excellent. chink. <laughs> um, it's an important one. I, I, I agree. We yeah, so, sometimes okay. we forget that, you know, it's a job. <laughs> so it's better and we spend a lot of time you know doing our job so it's better to have yeah. fun with it <laughs> of course of course yeah yeah and an- another chink actually so on, on le- maybe this is sort of on leadership more than entrepreneurship mm-hmm. but i guess you know if you're if you're building a business you've got to be a leader you've got to build a team so this phrase really rings true to me um around leaders eat last there's a book uh, Simon sure Sinek. right yes. right yeah and, you know, I, I think it's really useful. So I can remember, you know, doing a night shift on a biochar in our factory. You know, you're, it's, it's dark, it's hot, it's dusty, and it's nighttime, and it's four in the morning, and your ears are full of biochar, and it's, you know, it's hard work. But the fact that I've done that 
makes me feel very authentic and very kind mm. of okay about asking other people to do that, you know, yes. and, and I would not want to have asked other people to do something uncomfortable unless I've done it myself. So doing the uncomfortable work, um, I, I think is, is really valuable and it's not comfortable and it's not easy. And, and if you can't do it, how could you possibly expect someone else to do it? Yes. So I, I, you know, I believe, I believe in that very strongly do the uncomfortable work and leaders eat last. And sometimes leaders don't even eat. That's also my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's okay. You know, I think, you know, if you're in this for the service, then, then that's, you'll, you'll gain, gain a lot of pleasure from that. Mm-hmm. Lead, lead by example. Mm. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Lead by example. Exactly. Lead by example, do uncomfortable work serve others first and and that will build team and that will build respect and yeah. you know, ultimately you need to build build a team so i remember when i was uh, in cambodia myself and i was working for this i was heading this uh, market research agency and you know at that time we were doing uh, all the interviews with pen and papers and sending sending interviewers to knock on doors on people's doors and you know, Cambodia is 80% of people living in rural areas. So they will travel a lot, maybe by, you know, by cars and my motorbike and then on foot just to go and do one, five interviews in one village before they move on to the next village. And I was trying to, uh, to go with them, you know, on a regular basis because it was important for me to see what was going on on the field, but also to show them that I really cared about what they were doing because of all of these interviewers were, part-timers it was not their full-time job you know they were students that was their full-time job and that worked very very well like you said i could feel the 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 respect because the big boss and in asia especially big boss you know this there is as you know there is this hierarchy of respect towards the authority and i could see that they were so happy to see me going and you know Walking, walking around with, walking along with them, and being hot and sweating, it was their job was was so difficult. So, can totally relate yeah. to what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, that's very important. Yeah, and you also learn a lot more about yes. how the job actually works. All these things that they're not going to tell you in their evaluation report, yes. and that is that provides insights, and then you can fine tune and improve things. So, I think yeah, definitely getting you getting stuck in at every level of the business mm-hmm. is, is really valuable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any other stuff or chinks, like you said, that you, you've learned? Um, always be recruiting. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> always yes. be recruiting. Uh, you know, I think it's, um, I went to this really fantastic training. We were on the climate kick acceleration program and, someone who used to be in charge of Google recruitment uh, gave this training on recruitment and it really was very valuable. And uh, one of the things he said was always be recruiting. You know, you need to build team and your human resources is, is one of your most critical assets. And so even if you don't have the resource to pay these people, keep them close, you know, find, find talent, attract talent. It takes time um, to build a team. So, you know, so we've had in our case, um, you know, we've had several volunteers, interns, we have, we have a core executive team, we have an operations team, um, and we have advisors, we have, you know, a lot of people around us and, and, 
and people that believe in this journey and it's thanks to them that we're able to do what we're doing you know mm. so but it's a lot of conversations um and and being visible and being out there and and always be recruiting basically excellent <laughs> my favorite question i'm a coach so i love this question question if you had known everything that you know now what would you have done differently Ah, this one is a difficult question. I, yes. I, hadn't, I did not have this one prepared <laughs> at all. What would I have done differently? Okay, yes. There is one crucial thing I would have done differently. And I'm, I'm kind of slightly embarrassed to tell you this, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, okay, so, so we registered the business in 2017. We then spent about a year talking to experts around the world who'd done incredible things with rice husk because we knew we wanted to help smallholder farmers. We knew we wanted to do something with rice husk. So we Google like PhD professors, companies who are creating like chopsticks made out of rice husk and material building materials made out of rice husk pellets. So we speak to all these people. We look at all these cases, you know, all these experts and businesses, and then we're like, okay, we've got these great ideas, lots of potential. Now we'll go to Southeast Asia and we'll talk to the farmers and we will talk to them about what do they need? What, it, what keeps them awake at night? And of course, the, the response from most of the farmers was climate change. You know, my soil is too hard. It's difficult to, my yields are low. I have to send my children to the factory. So we asked them about their challenges. We asked them about their concerns. Um, and we even, and this is the embarrassing part, we even took some rice husk chopsticks to a rice mill and said, look, you know, we're here to try and find some cool thing that we can do with your rice husk so that you can get more money for it. And they were all like, wow, yeah, that looks amazing, fantastic. And um, anyway, so we carried on our journey. We get back on the last day before, the end, before leaving, I met a consultant and he said to me, have you thought about biochar? And I was like, bio what? I've never heard of it. <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, it's what the farmers have been doing for thousands of years and they still do it in Cambodia. And I was like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. <laughs> so the, the, what I would have done differently is, is ask the farmer, what do you do with your rice husk? And we never asked that question. Oh, because that's a good we one. Had, because we had this kind of ego trip that myself and Carol from UK, Spain, 20 years of sustainability and business, plus this wealth of global knowledge that we tapped into, surely we would have this great answer. And actually the answer was staring us in the face with in, in the minds of the people that we're actually trying to help. So it was, it was a real kind of moment. Like, you know, if you're trying to help some, ask them how they would do it because they will have the answer already. <laughs> and yes. so this is why it's so slightly embarrassing. Um, uh, but anyway, that's, that was my lesson. That's what I would have done. And then we wouldn't have had to waste a year talking to, you know, all these professors and businesses. Many of these businesses failed actually. So that was mm -hmm. kind of interesting as well. Right. So make sure that you do your research and that you ask the right questions to the right people. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Ask Excellent. the right questions to the right people. Yeah. And, and, and don't be afraid. Don't assume that you know the answer. Be familiar with not knowing. Be okay that you don't know so that you can really innocently ask the question and not then, have a kind of preconceived answer. I, I invite the, uh, the audience to uh, read something called the survival bias, which is uh, linked to uh, planes in World War II uh, in England. It's a great story exactly about what you're, what you're saying. 
What is, would that be that the number one recommendation you would give to uh, entrepreneurs out there? No, I think, I think the number one recommendation I would have is be yourself, mm. you know, be authentic, um, be, you know, really be yourself. If you're trying to pretend to be someone else, it's, it's going to be difficult. You know, you're going to come up with lots of challenges and, and yeah, and, it, and it's not easy to be yourself because first you have to know who you are, right? And that's not obvious. So take time to work out who you are, what you really want, and then be that uh, to its full potential. That would be my, that would be my recommendation. Well, this is a fantastic way to conclude this interview. How can people contact you? Eloise at huskventures.com is probably the best way, or you can look at our web, huskventures.com. Um, write us an email. Yeah, send us, uh, get in touch. Let us know if you want to invest in biochar. It is the business of the future. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Eloise, for your time, and thank you all for listening. I'd love to hear your feedback about today's interview. So if you have any questions for my guests or for myself, or if you'd like to be a guest yourself, send an email to contact at laurentin.com or reach out on LinkedIn. See you next time. Bye-bye.